the Cult Worthy Podcast. Join me, Antonio Palacios, each week as I guide you through a never-ending sea of obscure cinema and cult-worthy gems that deserve a rediscovery. Find me on all listening platforms and at thecultworthy.com. The Cult Worthy Podcast. Join us. Attention. The MILF and Me Podcast contains strong language and open conversations about sexuality, a multitude of lifestyles, and occasional criticism of political fuckery. Keep politics out of your pants, folks. Your hosts, Antonio and Diana, are not certified relationship therapists. We are cynical assholes with microphones, pretty much like every other podcast. And so with that out of the way, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Milf and Me podcast. Welcome back to the studio, Diana. Hello. Thank you. You know, a lot has happened mm-hmm. <laughs> in the last, what, seven, eight weeks that we've been doing this. We are now like on episode nine or 10 as we're recording this. A lot's happened, a lot of emotional growth, a lot of emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. And that kind of all leads back to today's topic because it's something that You've been telling me for years. My partner's been telling me for years. But I think it's something that most guys don't really think about. And I'm still on the fence of whether or not they should for them. But I think they should 100% look into it to help their relationships be better with women. Because I think if they were more open to this topic and really listen to what their partner had to say about it and not be so flippant as I've been for years, Mm -hmm. they might learn something about themselves. For sure. We're talking about love languages. Yeah, it's a big deal. Love languages. What is yours and how do you fucking speak it? (laughs) Because I don't even know. Well, I am a special case over here. (laughs) And I say that lightly. Um, So I took the love language test a couple years ago and um, I haven't taken it since, I have to admit. I study it a lot, but mine has stayed the same over the years. Uh, Words of affirmation is my number one. Mm -hmm. And it came in at, I want to say, 33%. And mind you, there just for the people that might not know, there are five love languages. Uh, My top one was words of affirmation. And then all the other four were equally split, 17% equally, like perfectly equally. I can't make this up. So I'm actually taking the test only once with my fiance. She gave it to me. A few months ago when we were just talking about it and my love language apparently is acts of service, which was of no surprise to her Mm -hmm. and really of no surprise to me based off of what I know about it. Now, honestly, I really don't know about all the other ones too well. You know, they, they look like they're understandable at face value. They are words of affirmation slash compliments, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's been a couple of years since you took your last one. I feel like at some point in my life, I've probably gone through all of these. Sure. And as I've gotten older, the priorities change, and therefore my love language changes. So acts of service actually means a lot to me now. Always providing acts of service for other people is what makes me happiest. Mm-hmm. And on that flip side, when people have acts of service towards me... I am more appreciative than something tangible. 
you know, yes. helping me move or making me dinner, helping me clean the house, things like that. Yeah. Are more valuable than a trinket or right. a gift or a treat, you know? Yeah. Not that I don't appreciate those things, but a lot of these kind of are based on where you're at in life with your financial status, mm-hmm. where you're at in life with your insecurities or your ego. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where some guys might consider this a little bit woo, you know, yeah. because our our appreciation of our partners and ourselves are usually based on what our daily life is, work, relaxation, time with the kids, what's for dinner, things like that, where I know this was written by a man. We'll get in that to a minute, but sometimes I feel like these things may have been written with the idea that these were for women who didn't have as much going on in their day-to-day life. This was written in 1992. Yeah. And like we've mentioned in previous episodes, women weren't working as much as they are now. So sometimes I wonder now if we took a poll of women who work every day like you, Yeah. what would those languages say now? Yeah, no, it's true. You know, and you asked me something earlier when we were discussing this is your love languages can change. However, that top one, your number one love language usually always is there. It always stays the same. Interesting. Yeah. So that's like your main one. And that one is really determined at a really young age. You know, Gary Chapman, who wrote this book in the first place, he actually said, I listened to a podcast that he was on. And he said around age four is when you can determine what someone's love language is like in childhood, early as childhood. And I do believe that that is true. Words of affirmation has always been mine. That's something that I loved as a kid growing up, I remember. And it's also your love language is also based on things that you lacked growing up. I didn't receive a lot of words of affirmation growing up either. And I didn't receive a lot of uh, physical touch. We weren't a touchy-feely, huggy-lovey-dovey family at all. So for me, words of affirmation, it's always stayed the same. Now, like you said, during other parts of my life, during other times, whether that be my marriage or during the divorce or now, Mm. during my single life, quality time is very important to me. But so is acts of service. And so is receiving gifts and giving gifts. Physical touch has always kind of been down at the bottom for me. However, I've noticed that I love physical touch more now than I ever have in my life before, like in the past years. So it's a really interesting thing how it does. It fluctuates and it moves around. And I think it's super important to have this conversation with your partner and maybe take the test again or check in and take it every year, every six months, whatever that is. I do definitely need to take it again. But when I took it last, I couldn't believe the fact that I was equally split between the last four perfectly, 17% down the line. Like I literally was in shock. But it also wasn't surprising either because I love all of these things. They all speak to me. They, I mean, I guess they speak to me too. The thing that really kind of makes me hesitant about anything like this is because I feel that. Some people just put way too much into it and use it almost as like the watermark of what their relationship should be. Yes. And I'm going to say mostly women, in my experience, I'm not saying that is Mm -hmm. the universal status, but it has been for me mostly. Also, a few years ago, God, more than a few years ago, maybe 20 years ago, 
Someone wrote a book called He's Just Not That Into You. Mm-hmm. That book destroyed so many relationships that I would have considered healthy because it was putting ideas in both men's and women's heads. Someone wrote a book. I think it was written by a homosexual guy. <laughs> I think it was written by a gay guy uh-huh. using, I guess, the playing field that they experience in their love life and their dating life, applying it to women. And it started making women look for signals that weren't necessarily there. But if there was one there, no matter how big or small it was, it would trigger a response that would start a conversation that us men at the time did not know how to engage in. We felt attacked, for one. Yeah. And we felt uneducated because now someone was writing books that anyone could really read, pick what they chose out of it to use as their new ideology. So what did men start doing? They started reading this book, too, and using it as a shield to deflect any of these attacks that women would put on them from the book. Huh. So before even podcasts existed, I remember listening to Loveline. Did you ever listen to Loveline with Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla? Yeah, actually, I did. They had an episode talking about this. They said every man should go read this book Mm -hmm. because you're going to have a girlfriend or a wife completely unprovoked, start throwing these things at you from this book. And you need to know where they're coming from and how to defend it. So I read the book. I thought it was ridiculous, but they were 100% right. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that the book was wrong and the message was wrong. I was saying that the playing field was uneven and men didn't have a chance to be able to have a healthy conversation with their partner based on what these attacks from this book were coming from. I kind of feel the same way about this one. What were the attacks, if you don't mind me asking, like from that book? Like, give me, do you have an example? Yeah, of a lot of the attacks? stuff that we actually kind of covered uh-huh. in these things. Mm-hmm. Things about being vague about what your activities are, mm-hmm. about how much time you're spending away from home. Like they were saying, you should know exactly how long it takes for your man to get home from work and that amount of time it takes for him to call you because texting didn't really exist back then. Gotcha. It was all about these kind of red flags that you would notice to prove whether or not he's into you. So every single thing could be used as a red flag, basically. That was the problem. This book was a pig seller. I don't remember if it was on Oprah's book club, but back then before people had blogs and back then before people had podcasts, you were getting self-help books and self-improvement books just flying off the shelves and they were like the new gospel. Now, the love language was, I think, is a little bit more beneficial. It's less caustic because it's not one-sided. It isn't written just for women. It just so happens that more women read it and more women embrace it. Mm -hmm. So this is my question for you. Mm-hmm. In your past experiences, did you have these love language conversations with your partner or with your husbands when you were involved with them? Well, I've only had one husband, Antonio. So take the plural off of husband. But we're in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been married once. But yeah, in my past relationships, this um, love languages as a topic has definitely come up. My most recent relationship that I was in, it was a little different because uh, he was very mindful, as am I, you know, really into um, working on himself. And I'm really into that stuff too. There were times where he would, I wouldn't say you, not use it as a crutch, but he would say, you just, you're not, you don't know how to love me or, you're not fulfilling my love language. And 
you know, that's one thing that Gary Chapman actually talked about is instead of going to your your person or your partner and saying, you aren't doing this right. Mm -hmm. You aren't loving me correctly. Like that, like these are, you're not doing my love languages. That's coming from a place of like attack, like fear almost where if you sit down and have a conversation and say, Hey, so these are my love languages, right? This is important to me. This is what makes me feel the most loved, the most important, the most cherished, appreciated. And then the other person can be, you know, take that into consideration and do what they need to do with it. I wasn't, I just didn't feel like I was given that opportunity. I was always blamed for what I wasn't doing. And there would be a defense that would come up from him and from me both where it was like, well, fuck, I don't know how to love you then. Sorry, I don't know how to love you good enough. Instead of making a learning opportunity of, hey, this is what's important to me, what's important to you. So have you ever done that to a man before? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That last relationship I was in, that's literally our conversation. Not word for word, but yes, absolutely. That has come up. It was a, it was a thing. And see, that's interesting for me because, I don't know, maybe I just shy away from conversations like that, like I said about that he's just not that into you book because I did not understand where my partner was coming from learning what these love languages are and how important they are to your partner. If they embrace this, this idea, mm-hmm. I think that's really important and really crucial. If you are just flipping it off and saying, well, that's just some guy's opinion, yeah. but it's important to the person that you're in love with. Well, then obviously you are not speaking their love language and they will have something on you that can start building their idea that you are not the person they should be with. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think that a book should be that. But again, the communication part, even five years into the relationship that I'm in, I still don't understand 100% what my partner needs from me every day. We talk about it and I learn new things every day. I think you learn things the rest of your life. For sure. But you talk about it and being mature enough. We talk about maturity a lot on this show. Absolutely. You can't be 41 years old with a 20-year-old bro brain, right? Right. That thinks everything is stupid. Like, put that beast away, put it to bed, or save it for work. Save it for your career where you need that energy. You shouldn't be bringing that energy to your wife and your kids. What if your kid has something that he's learned that you maybe disagree with in your normal life, but it means everything to them? You really have to learn how to be flexible with your opinions and your emotions, and that is just the sign of maturity. And- I wish that age equaled maturity in this day and age, especially in this country. Sadly, it doesn't. Yeah. You have to look at this, too, as a book. It's not doctrine. It's it's not not a Bible. It's not like you have to live your life this way. It's just kind of a tool. It's 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 a fun little tool to have when you're dating, when you're falling in love, when you're in a relationship of, hey, there's these love languages. I wonder what mine are or I wonder how how I tick and what makes him tick and like you know, all of these different dynamics that are in a relationship, being in a relationship is hard no matter what. Have you ever been in a relationship where you were dating a guy who just thought they had everything figured out already and looked at stuff like this as just nonsense? No, I haven't to that extent, but yes. I mean, that's a yes and a no. Like I've dated someone that thought he had it all figured out for sure and still was into the love languages. We would talk about it. But it wasn't like he disregarded it like, oh, that's bullshit. That doesn't work right. out. But yeah, I've definitely dated men that think they have it all figured out 100%. And that's a red flag for me because it's like, you know, no, we don't have it all figured out. You know, we are learning right. and growing and changing every day. 
And if you just keep those lines of communication open and make sure that you are approachable. I mean, that's the biggest thing too, is I've been in relationships with men where I don't feel like I can approach them with certain conversations because I'm worried or stressed out about how they might react, you know, and that's not healthy either. The love language is, is not supposed to be used as a aggress, aggressive tool, I guess. Just it's a tool for you to get to know the person you're with and get to know yourself. What's important? Is it important that I give him compliments every day? Or is it important that I help him in the kitchen every day? Like, what is it that means more to him? It doesn't mean we have to live our life based on it, you know? So when people bring it up in conversation over, like, an argument they've had with their person, well, he just doesn't mean my love languages. Well, that's so broad and vague. Like, right. what, are you, what the fuck are you talking about? What does that even mean? Yeah. Do you know what that means? Right. What is your love language then? Why don't you teach him instead of just throw your hands up and be like, this is bullshit. She, she just doesn't know how to love me right. Or he just doesn't love me correctly. Humans can't read each other's minds. We can't read each other's minds. Not yet. You know? <laughs> right? So it's it's just, it's kind of one of those fine lines. You want to use it as a tool and something that's positive, nothing negative, nothing that you can, you know, you're not here to use it against your partner. Right. Yeah, this shouldn't, this shouldn't be weaponized. No, not at all. So, Dr. Chapman suggests that to discover another person's love language, one must observe the way they express love to others and analyze what they complain about most often and what they request from their significant other most often. He theorizes that people tend to naturally give love in the way they prefer to receive love, and better communication between couples can be accomplished when one can demonstrate caring to the other person in the love language the recipient understands. Perfectly worded. It's like it, it's everything that we just said in all that exactly. word salad, but put in one paragraph. Yep, totally. Here's the problem. There are a lot of people who just use this as a one-sided mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of psychiatrists and therapists who do have problems with these love languages because they say that many people especially narcissists and egotistical personalities, can use them as crutches or weaponize them against their partner or potential partners. Uh -huh. So that's kind of what you're talking about. Like, if you don't have that communication of, okay, this is my love language, that doesn't mean it's like, oh, give or take. And that means it's a give or take thing. It doesn't mean that it's all give or all take. Right. You know, this is what I respond best to. This is how you can love me better. This is how you can treat me better. And I will reciprocate that to you. Yes. It shouldn't just be a one-sided thing where it's like, well, now I can't think straight today because you didn't say good morning. You didn't say I love you before I left. And now that's going to eat my brain all day long. Yes. And I've had that experience. So I'm like literally talking from experience right now that that has happened to me in real life. What you just said, where I made a mis I don't I can't say it this way. I didn't make a mistake. I just expressed to somebody what it was I was doing and he didn't like it because it was one of his love language acts and it was something I didn't do with him regularly and he was upset that I was doing it with someone else. I get and you. it it ruined the day and it ruined a lot of things and I mean, that's, that leads to the number one thing that some therapists have a problem with the love languages. The love languages can be used for scorekeeping. 
Like some people start kind of tallying all of the good things you did today or all the bad things that you did today. Mm -hmm. And they can use them against you in an argument. They can use them against you in an altercation or if they are friends or in, in a social group with other people that talk about love languages often, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you get like a little sewing circle of people influencing your partner yeah. of how you are not providing them with the love languages that they desire. Exactly. That's And that's a very unhealthy. It taints the relationship. It really does. It's You get family and friends involved too much, then that can really ruin either make or break a relationship, honestly. And like we talked about at the beginning, love languages can change. Yes. So that, again, communication. Let's say you're with someone for 10 years and during that 10 years, your love language has evolved into something else. Now, maybe that doesn't correspond with the person that they fell in love with 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But if love is love, then you need to be flexible. Right. Yep, that's exactly right. And also you need to be... And I hate using that word. You need to be this. You need to do that. I don't like. I don't use those words. Um, but you should be. No, I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> say should either. Um, I'm just going to use myself as an example. Just um, for me, it works that I am very in touch and in tune with myself, and checking in with myself. And you do. You need to have that ability. Um, or it's important, let's try that. It's important to have this ability to be in tune with yourself, check yourself, get centered. Because honestly, how are you going to be able to express to someone what your love language is if you don't even really know, quite honestly, mm-hmm. yourself? And so you really do get to have these opportunities when you're doing your alone time or when you're reading or meditating or whatever it is that you do to get clear in your mind, really get clarity on what is your love languages. Take the test, um, read the book, listen to it on Audible. Um, and I'll talk about that later on. But honestly, it's super important. You cannot express to someone else what it is that you need and want if you don't even know yourself. And because it changes so often, you really get to check in with yourself often. I mean, that's just good mental health too. Absolutely. So this is an interesting one. The love languages are not a universal salve it's not a fix-all. It's not a cure-all. No. It's not something you can just rub on your body and have all your problems disappear. No. But like so many of these things, like I talked about that other book, it becomes gospel. It becomes something that people create their whole identity behind. I'd say the same thing with religion, you know? I feel like religion in this day and age should and could be used as a way to adapt with how crazy this world is, mm-hmm. a way to kind of spiritually and emotionally just disembark from your daily life. Go to church on Sunday, sing some songs, read some scriptures with your kids. You know, I'm not religious, but I get why people are. It is, for the most part, or should be, a positive spiritual experience that can help purge the demons that you experience throughout the week. Yeah, where we get fanaticism that I feel is kind of destroying a lot of foundations of this country and families is when they start getting fanatical about it and it becomes their universal fix. And if you don't fit into that idea, right, then you are now a toxic personality. Scientology has been like the big one mm-hmm. lately where like families are 
broken apart and then they attack them and then they try and they call them suppressive persons. It becomes this whole sense of negativity where I feel like most religions should be a way to kind of be above those basic humor instincts, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. No, I mean, anything you can't become obsessed with anything, honestly, because that, like you said, it, if it becomes an obsession and it's like controlling every way you think and feel and do things, then it's, it's becoming not, it's, not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's defeating the purpose. This one actually speaks to me if I really bought into love languages earlier in my life because so many things do this to me. Love languages can get used as a quick fix. I have fixed many problems in my late 30s, early 40s by getting over the idea that just because something works great for two weeks doesn't mean that it is the universal cure-all. I I am a very impatient person when it comes to things that I, I want I have plenty of patience with people, but I don't have patience with emotional satisfaction. I see. So if, let's say, I was having a problem with a girlfriend that was going on for months, but I had two good weeks, those two good weeks to me meant everything was fixed. Uh, But it wasn't fixed. It was just two good weeks within months of bad. Yeah. But I had this instant gratification mechanism in my head that... Two weeks of this perfect relationship and everything's been great. The sex is great. We're going out. Everything's better. Yeah. No, it's not better. It's just a good two weeks. Yeah, that's true. How do you feel about that one? I can see it. I mean, I'm racking my brain over here thinking back to experiences that I've had and you're right. I mean, and then at the end of this period of when it was good, if something then blows up, I've found myself in shock, like jaw to the ground going, how did that happen? Wait, what the fuck just happened? Like we just had the greatest (laughs) two or three weeks or week even, or the past few days, you know? Um, But you're 100% correct. I think you and I are a lot like that way. I I feel that we've had enough conversations where, oh, this was such a great week. I feel everything's better. And then it goes back to shit and we're surprised that it does. Yeah. And you know what? I'm sure it's like this for a ton of people. We just don't know because we don't talk about it openly with everybody we come across. Right. But I think this is pretty normal and pretty natural is that you can have three to four good days in a row and then three to four shitty days where you're at this super high where you're like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. I could marry him. And then a week or two later, you're like, fuck this guy. He's an asshole. (laughs) I can't believe I was in love with him ever. I mean. We've never done that. (laughs) And so it's like, that's the story of my life. But no, so it's like, you know, it's kind of like an up and down thing. But it's true. I mean, things can go really good and then they just don't. But at the end of the day, um, if you're trying to learn your person, I think that you can't go wrong. You know, it's like. Maybe it's not the five love languages that you talk about. Maybe it's just a sitting down and having a heart to heart and saying, hey, tell me some things that you just love or tell me the perfect day. If you were to wake up, like do whatever you want from start to finish, like tell me what that looks like for you or just get to know each other. You don't have to become obsessed with the fact that there's a book out there called the five love. We need to read this. We need to take the test. We need to do all these things. Let's become obsessed with it. Then we'll be able to, we'll be able to love each other perfectly. And our relationship will be amazing. Nothing will ever go wrong. Yeah. That doesn't fucking work. Um, just getting clarity and learning how to love and learning how to love yourself is a big, big part of it too. So the last one, which I think is the biggest one of why some people have problems with the love languages is that love languages won't fix underlying issues. Right. 
I mean, here's the thing. There are some people who are just, there are always going to be partners who can't not live in infidelity. There right. are always going to be partners who can't not lie to you. Right. There are always going to be partners who may not be able to control their temper, their anger, their violent outbursts. Right. Those are things that you need therapy, really good communication, mm-hmm. or maybe you just need to fucking break up. Mm-hmm. A book is not going to fix that. Right. Love languages aren't going to fix that. Right. And I think there are a lot of people who are always looking for some kind of homeopathic fix a band-aid. or a metaphysical fix. A band-aid, uh, yeah. yeah. If, yeah. If, if traditional psychiatric therapy or medicine doesn't help, then maybe this will. Right. Again, this is probably like just the best way to be described as a jumping off point or a road guide to you. Yeah. That you can explain to your partner in easier terms than filling him or her with your psychobabble of all the trauma you've gone through in your life and why you are the way you are and why you need to be loved in this particular way. Absolutely. So what do the profiles look like these days? What is the what is the swiping left and right look like? Well, I paid closer attention this week to how many people actually describe their needs and wants, I guess, on their profile. It's kind of interesting. Um, it's kind of a split down the middle. A lot of people are really into making sure you know what it is they like and want and need. Mm-hmm. And then there's the people that don't really give a fuck. Those are the ones that I say they're not really serious about finding their person. They're not taking online dating seriously. They're just like here to fuck around. Can we talk about Hinge for a second? Sure. So you experimented with Hinge. I did, yep. And you were showing me the algorithms it goes through. And I thought it was fascinating. And I mean, I'm not on the dating scene anymore, but I wished it was around... Yeah. You know, I can't say that because if it was around back in the day when I was dating, who knows, I might have found someone for me back then, which would have kept me from finding the person I'm with now. True. But it really seems to be more of like what I would have been more secure using than all the Tinders and OkCupids and plenty of fishes that were available yeah. seven, eight years ago when I was balls deep was in this dating t- market. Tinder was like a big one back then. I mean, Tinder I? was the biggest one, yeah. but- also, I feel this is an interesting thing we can talk about really fast before we get into this. Tinder was kind of like the car lot that you couldn't afford. Does that oh, make sense? Oh, book sales on State Street. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, it looks accessible. You can walk around it and you can touch the things. Oscars. But then auto you auto sales. <laughs> uh, Lucky's credit. <laughs> Lucky's car credit. But yeah, but you couldn't. You you would find yourself in a spot where like I don't think I can afford this car. Yeah. So you start looking at other car lots like Plenty of Fish and OK Cupid and eventually Bumble. Bumble is pretty cool. Yeah. But you started meeting people who felt the same way that you did about Tinder. It's like, I am not hot enough for Tinder. I am not rich enough for Tinder. And I'm looking for more than just a casual hookup or encounter. Yeah. Hinge seems to have fixed that for Hin- people like Hinge us, is pretty right? cool. Yeah, I was pretty impressed with it. Um, So there's prompts and you have to answer these questions it gives you like multiple choice in um personality family um just all these different taglines or subjects and then you choose what prompt that you want to answer so it'll ask a question and then you answer that and then they put that on your profile 
Well, it won't let you move on to the next step or the next stages of the app until you answer those questions, until you choose a prompt, answer it. Then it will let you move on to the next thing of swiping and Mm -hmm. seeing people. And then if you want to like really get serious about it, then you can pay a monthly fee and then you're able to see all your likes in one place. Like people's faces aren't blurred out. Like you, you have more access to the app is basically what it is. And it's really cool. There you have a, um, they have a feature on there where you can record your voice and like do like a little spoof of like, Hey, um, if you like this or if you like that, then we'll get along great. Or if you have drama, in, like mine was like, if you have drama in your life, I'm not your girl, you know, <laughs> I didn't record my voice, but you can record yeah. whatever you want. Um, so that was kind of cool. And I did meet, um, just chatted online. We didn't meet in person, but I met a few great guys and they were, it was different. The algorithm was much different. It was much more crisp and clear. Like it was really geared towards me. And I made sure that my preferences were required. Like it's a requirement that you have this. It's a requirement that you have that. And so I wasn't getting a bunch of shitty, like here, this person, what about this person? What about that person? It's like, no, this person lives in another fucking state And every single thing that I said I didn't want, I don't want someone that smokes. He smokes. I mean, it's like, I don't. He was doing the hard work for you. Yeah, exactly. So it's pretty cool. It's actually a pretty cool platform. The profiles, though, what I was getting at with those is if you read really closely, and I know women are really, really good at at paying attention to detail. No offense, Antonio. And (laughs) And I know some men are too. But if you really pay attention, if you're doing the online dating thing and you really read, you can get a really good idea on what this person's love language is. Oh, interesting. You know, like I love to stay in and cook dinner and watch a movie with my person rather than go out. That's a person that loves quality time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you really pay attention to the detail of how they describe themselves in their profile, then you can get an idea on if it matches yours. I mean, that's basically what we're doing, right? We're trying to see if this person or these people are a good match for us. And we determine that. Um, Another thing is too, is if they say something like, I spoil, I spoil my woman, or I treat her like a queen, blah, 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 whatever they say. I mean, I've seen a bunch of different ways this is worded. Then you know that they are the type of person that loves to give gifts. That's one of their love languages. So, you know, I mean, it really does. It goes a long way if you pay attention. Well, and that goes back to your whole idea of your profile is your resume. Yes. I would say it would probably be a good idea that if you were, let's say, a 35-plus-year-old man or woman, it would not be a bad idea to be educated in the love languages and incorporate them into your bio because your chance of meeting someone who recognizes what those love languages are and can start using that knowledge of you to create a connection. You might actually meet someone who's got a lot more in common with you or at least knows how to operate around your personality than someone that you're just basing completely off of photos and not a solid profile. Yes, and then the scary part comes where it's all bullshit. Yeah. Every single thing that they wrote, everything they wrote on their profile, their words, everything they said that they love to do or that they love this and that and blah, blah, blah. And then you actually meet them two to three weeks in. You're like, fuck 
that. That is not true. Every single thing that was said in this person's profile is not real. Like he's not that person. He's not, he doesn't love to stay in and cook dinner and watch movies and have a bottle of wine. He wants to be with his buddies at the club. Right. You know, and so it's fucking hard to meet people online. It just is. It's a shit show. It's a circus. I'll say it forever and ever till I'm six feet under. (laughs) It is so hard to find the real ones. Yeah. It's very difficult. So if you find a real one and it's, it's real, (laughs) make it work. I love that you said that because we've mentioned in past episodes where I call it fast food relationships. Yeah. Fast food romance. It's like, oh, well, I got this guy so quickly I can get another one. Yeah. Yeah. The shop's going to run dry Mm -hmm. or the guys that were being honest and sincere on these apps are going to learn that because they were too honest and sincere – People weren't connecting with them because maybe that's not what they were looking at. Yeah. And they're going to adapt a new personality based on people that it's working for. I call that the chameleon state. Oh, that's a great word for it. Yes. I've never thought that. But yeah. yeah, it's out there. It's a it's a true thing. I've seen it. Yeah, I have too. I've experienced it. And I'll be completely vulnerable and honest right now is I have done that myself in the past years. Um Years and years ago, when I was first divorced 10 years ago, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't have a clue. And I honestly was afraid to get close to anyone. I I don't think I was quite ready yet, but I was forcing myself out there because I knew I wanted to be in a relationship. I just, I emotionally and mentally was not ready. Yeah. So I did. I formed myself to, um, I, I adjusted and adapted who I was to match the person I was with. And I call that the chameleon. It's very unhealthy. Um, you go out with someone, say like, I'll just use this as an example. This isn't me, but this is an example. You hate camping. You fucking hate it. You hate yeah. camping so bad, right? And then you meet someone that's super outdoorsy and loves to camp. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I love camping. <laughs> I love to camp. That's so cool. And then you like try to mold yourself to this person that loves outdoors and loves camping. It doesn't work that way. I dated somebody that had like a million hobbies and I'm kind of laughing right now because maybe he listens to this podcast. Maybe he doesn't, but he had a million hobbies, (laughs) so many fucking hobbies and he didn't have kids, which was great. He had all the time in the world to have all these hobbies, but he loved rock climbing and I am afraid of heights, terrified. Yeah. Yeah. And I tried it and I went and I I did good, but I was scared to death and I didn't sit there and say, oh my God, we should go again. I love this. I love rock climbing. It's amazing. I just kind of was like, that was cool. I don't really want to do it again. You know, that comes with maturity. That comes with knowing who you are, what you like, what you don't like, what scares the shit out of you, what you're interested in. I have to be real. I'm I'm 41 years old. I don't give a shit if you like rock climbing or if you like camping or if you like whatever, if I don't like it, I don't fucking like it. Go do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. And then we can get together at the end of the day. You can be like, I release you from your obligations to me for a day. Yeah, go do your thing. Go get smelly in the woods. I'm going to stay here and drink wine and watch stand-up comedy. Yeah, so it's super (laughs) important to be yourself. The chameleon does happen. It happens often. I've been with men that have been the chameleon with me. They've adjusted. They've adapted. They've said things that doesn't, it doesn't fit what their real life is. And I can really, I've... I've gotten a little bit 
good at reading through that. Our love guru today. This was an interesting one. I've compiled so many, and next week's episode is going to be really exciting because we are going to play a game called Guru Roulette. Oh yeah! I've got so many of these things saved that <laughs> we'll never get to them in time before more good stuff comes through. So this is kind of going to be like our calling system to get some of these gurus out of the way, so we can continue move on with fresh product. But this one I find kind of interesting. Maybe it resonates with you a little bit. It definitely resonates with me from previous relationships. So let's just give it a play and see what you think. You hung up on someone who you know isn't good for you, it might be a trauma bond. Here are five signs to look out for from a licensed therapist and certified trauma professional. Make sure you listen to the last so you can get unstuck from this loop. First, intense sexual chemistry early on in the relationship. This easily clouds judgment, your sense of self-identity, and the ability to identify red flags for what they are. Second, you put up with things you vowed you never would. Whether it's cheating, secrets, manipulation, hot and cold behavior, you can see it, but number three, you just can't seem to walk away, even if you know the relationship is unhealthy or abusive. Fourth, you can't stop thinking about them or talking about them, even creating opportunities to speak with them, even after you promised yourself it was time to go no contact. Fifth, you find yourself fantasizing about what could have been with this person in the future if they actually were who you believed at one time. Even if you Every relationship from age 19 to 33 is exactly what this guy was talking about for me. What about you? Um, I'm going to turn that question right around and ask you, did you find me in a relationship of exactly what he has just described? Have you seen me in a relationship like that most recently? I mean, I've seen you in several. Mm-hmm. That's why I think it resonates with you as much as it resonates with me. I mean, I married my trauma bond. I married my trauma bond at age 27. Yeah. So at least you haven't married a trauma bond. That's why it resonates with me. And we all know that like my life is is great now, but I went through at least five or six years of absolute hell to realize the mistakes I made in dating and staying with someone that fit every single one of those things. Intense sexual chemistry right from the start. The other parts of the red flags, like mm-hmm. drug abuse yep. and lying, that I just chose to ignore at first and then found some bullshit way to accommodate into my life. Who does that? A lot of people, and if you really want me to get real fucking honest with you. Um, so I don't love the love gurus. They kind of annoy me, and they think they know everything. Uh, but this guy is spot on. I mean, he really is. If I'm going to take myself and place myself in situations that he's talking about, he's he's spot on. He's correct. It's real. Um, every single one of those things that he listed, I have found myself in. I've found myself in a relationship most recently that had all of those. And it is, it's a trauma bonding. The thing that's fucked up with my mind uh-huh. is I will take those things and... The way he describes them, yeah, they're trauma bonding. And the way that my mind will wrap around it is, oh, but with a little bit of work, it'll get better. And that's my justification. And I'll do that all day long. And that's a very dangerous place to be. You know, I never heard the word trauma bond until I started digging up these gurus for this podcast. Yeah. 
And, you know, most of these gurus we look at and we laugh at, you know, we, we give them the benefit of the doubt that their information applies to someone out there. They may be doing someone good. Mm-hmm. Next week on, on Guru Roulette, there are some that have actually zero contributions to humankind, mm-hmm. and we can dig that apart later. This is our serious episode. Next week will be our play episode. Yeah, I'm excited for that one. Those love gurus. But yeah, this, this guy really speaks to me because I said yeah. I'd never heard the word trauma bond before we started digging up gurus. I feel like he brought up things that I had recognized maybe little pieces of in my past and used them to fix who I am now and how I create relationships. Yeah. What it does for me that is kind of upsetting though, is it makes me hate myself for what I was actually putting my partners through that I put up with. Yeah. Who was the real problem? Was it them being how they were or was it me coddling them because I didn't want them to leave me Yeah. and holding on to this relationship that was obviously toxic when we both could have gone our different ways earlier and had happiness in our life and maybe been able to make other people happy. Instead, we robbed other people of opportunities of happiness with a personality that would have fit us better mm-hmm. by sticking together and making these accommodations for these trauma bonds. That's where I get the most upset with myself. It's not about staying together or meeting someone better. Yeah. It's for wasting their time and allowing myself to let them waste my time. Yeah, I see that. Totally. I totally agree with that. I don't know what else to say other than he's he speaks to me. I see that. Um, I try very, very hard to turn everything back around onto myself and ask, what is it that I can do better? Or I look in the mirror, right? Like that is me. Um, If I'm blaming somebody for doing something this way or doing something that way, then I really need to circle back and check myself because that's really a direct reflection. And what does that look like? And if this person is doing that and that's what I see, well, what am I doing? I must be doing something as well. So then you that internalizes and that helps you work on yourself. This was a serious episode, and I kind of feel good about it. I feel like this is a good way to kind of purge some of the emotions that we've had building up over the last couple of weeks. Just, you know, it's the new year. We're already stressed out about our resolutions. We're stressed out about what this year looks like. When it comes to the Miltworthy, I think this week we should really just talk about this book, right? <laughs> yeah, actually, that's where I was going with it. The Five Love Languages. I mean, we just got done telling you not to use this as a doctrine, as like a main tool in your entire life. But I do challenge each person to take the test. It's really simple. It's on. Um, so you just type in five, the actual number five, five love languages.com, And you can take the test. Um, there's also a book. And this book, there were 12 million copies sold of The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Um, It has been translated in 50 different languages. And 50 million people have actually taken the test online. So I challenge each person to do that. Um, Mostly maybe just to get to know yourself. Maybe you're not even in a relationship. You're not dating. Who cares? Get to know you. I think it's really important. And I I really do support this. The five love languages is amazing. I just don't use it as a tool, as a crutch. Just have to be real careful with that. 
Um, but that's definitely 100% what I bring to the table this week. I, I agree. And I got to thank you for reigniting my my interest in this subject because for the longest time I did think it was kind of woo. Yeah. I thought it was just a little too much. But like I said, my partner and I took the test. I mean, I, I kind of knew what the result was going to be. But now I feel I can be better about communicating and presenting my feelings and how I feel like I need to be loved or want to be loved. Mm-hmm. But also understand where they're coming from, too. And I think that's the biggest part is why would you ignore some kind of advice or some kind of tool that would help you mm-hmm. learn more about the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with? Yeah, it is a learning It is absolutely learning every single day, your person. Thank you for the emotions. I feel so much better now just getting it all out and having an episode where we can just talk about real shit for once and not just talk shit on everything. Yeah, I need like five more hours of this therapy session. (laughs) Well, we'll definitely get our laughs out next week on Guru Roulette. Yes. Everyone, please subscribe to our channel. Check out the milfandmepod.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all those great places. Diana, I love you. I love you too. See you all next week. See ya.